friends, I'm Anna. And I'm Renee. And you're listening to Fangirl Happy Hour. everybody and welcome to another fangirl happy hour vault episode we're super excited to do another vault episode because we're talking about jurassic park otherwise known as the continued adventures of anna down memory lane and also how bad my memory is is a thing that we really need to talk about why do we need to talk about your bad memory when you said, let's watch Jurassic Park, I was like, oh, great. It's been such a long time since I watched this. I started watching it. And the first few minutes of the movie looked so alien. And I was like, am I watching the right movie? Because this looks like, like a movie from the 70s or something. And then I stopped and I Googled myself. And I found that I actually watched and talked about it during a viewing party on Twitter two years ago. And I had no recollection of this. How scary is this? I'm kind of concerned about your memory problems, Anna. Like I was telling you earlier today, I forgot my keys. Not only did I forget my keys, I took Russell's keys with me. And then when I got to work, I realized that I hadn't forgot my keys. I actually had my keys inside my pocket the whole time. Maybe you need a deep brain scan. What if I find out something that is really unpleasant? I mean, I don't know what to tell you because that's one of the main reasons I don't go to the doctor. <laughs> Maybe I'll forget this is happening. No, because every time we do a vault episode, you're going to be like, guess what? I discovered my memory is horrible. Like, you're just going to remind yourself over and over and over. Uh, do you know what, what clued me in to realize that I had watched this not a long time ago? Which? Jeff Goldblum. I was like, I remember this hotness. And it wasn't from... A long time ago. It was recently. Yeah, we should tell listeners about the way we did notes for this show, which was me with my super academic and thoughtful listing of themes and discussion points, and then yours, which was... Sexist thong is he walking towards the poo dropping. Also sexism in survival situations. And also... <laughs> my third note. It's so smart. So insightful, so intelligent. It says dinosaurs! Exclamation mark. Do you have any memories of Jurassic Park? Were you one of those people that grew up watching it and has amazing memories of it from when you were a teenager? No. Okay. Neither do I. I liked it when I saw it. I don't remember the first time I saw it because I've seen it so many times. I was watching it so we could discuss it and the internet died so I couldn't stream it anymore. I was like, mm, it's fine. I remember the rest. And I do remember the rest. That's the scary part. Like, in my head, I'm the exact opposite of you. And that I can somewhat replay this entire movie in my brain because I've seen it so many times. I couldn't even do that after seeing it only a couple of weeks ago. You know how some people say, oh, well, they're face blind? I'm the opposite of whatever that is. But I remember things really clearly even after a long period of time. If I meet somebody face-to-face -face and I learn their name, four years later, if they, as long as I haven't changed a bunch, I'm going to recognize them again. No problem. And I remember their name. If I see a movie, I'll remember the movie if I paid attention to it. So Jurassic Park was one of those movies that I must have watched before I got into computers. Because once I got into computers, I would 
sort of casually watch movies. I wouldn't get into them and just sit down and stare at the screen for hours to watch them. I'd watch them while doing stuff on the computer. But Jurassic Park came before that, so I remember it really, really well. I also remember movies like Care Bears 2 and Rainbow Bright and the Star Stealer. Fraggle Rock? What the hell are those? You don't know what Fraggle Rock is? Fraggle Rock? No, isn't that the one that we talked about? That you didn't know what it was. See, I remember it. There's hope for me still. That's okay, Anna. It'll be fine. I'll remind you of all the things that you forget. So how does Jurassic Park hold up given when it was released in the 90s? I think in terms of special effects, we have come a long way. I can see how that must have been or inspiring back in the 90s. I don't remember my particular reaction to the dinosaurs, but looking at them now, it's clear what they are. Really? Because I think the dinosaurs are super awesome still. Yes, they are still super awesome. But for example, that scene in the fields with the brontosaurus, you can tell that it's special effects. I think because scenes outside, but all the scenes inside, they are better. I think they are still good and scary. Yeah, I look at some of the special effects from the 90s, then I look at this movie, and I'm still just super impressed with the way it's held up. I assume it's because of the specific type of animation they used, which is actual models, so it didn't fall into the trap of aging like computer graphics did. Sorry, Tatanayi, I'm looking at you. And I also found this movie way more feminist than I did Jurassic World. I quite like Jurassic World. Yes, I know we've had that fight. I don't know what you're talking about. But yes, it absolutely is, actually. For example, this time I noticed something that is so plain and so clear and so obvious, but I only notice now is the guy who spends the entire movie with the kids and who, in the end, decides that he likes kids. Sometimes that arc is reserved for women. And also, when you gender flip that dynamic, the whole context changes because women are expected to like kids. So you can't just flip it and hope that it's going to work out if you apply the same logic. I also really like Sam Neill. This is one of his roles that put him on my radar. And I still just really like him both as a hero and especially as a villain. And I think he has got great range. I think he does a great job. What's sad is that the lady, Ellie, I wish she had had a bigger role somehow. Because I really liked her character. I wanted more of her as I watched this film. Maybe I have forgotten the, the great parts that she had in the second half of the film. No, she does have a lot of things to do in the second part. She runs a lot. She's the one that goes to turn on the lights back again and leaves everybody behind in the bunker. I wanted her to have more to do. She had plenty. Yeah, I know, but I wanted her to have more, Anna. That's the thing. It's fair enough. I would watch a whole movie with that character, specifically. Well, she was really great. Well, as per my notes, and apparently nerded out over, whereas Anna did not nerd out, she was just like, I know what's important here. It's Jeff Goldblum. My notes do not contain any Jeff Goldblum, which I guess makes me a fake geek girl, and I've been kicked out of the club. Come on. No, I was going to say that it's not only because he was sexy, but also because I liked his role and the things that he had to say and how cynical, I guess, or even realistic in bringing up the role of science and the role of man in playing with science, which goes back then to the points that you made and the notes that you wrote down for us to discuss. 
especially with regards to man playing God. Malcolm makes all these points about scientists in general and how they are using science on the island in, in specific. I was curious about whether he was right about scientists. If we take what he was saying and apply it to our own culture and specifically something like computer science. Because think about all the apps that get made that are bigoted in some way. Like they're racist or they're sexist and they're just perpetuating awful stereotypes and biases that are replaced there by scientists acting like their intentions are pure. Well, it's a question of ethics, isn't it? And do you rely on a self-assessment with regards to ethics? Or do you then have a board or someone to oversee all the scientific developments? But when that happens, scientific development can be stilted. It's complicated. And I don't really have an answer for that. Because, of course, I think that bringing dinosaurs back to life is a terrible idea. Awesome but also terrible idea. But at the same time, the way that the scientists use cloning and that scientific discovery, it's awesome. The meeting of ambition, money, and science is a meeting that if you don't have the ethics part of it, if you don't have a good grasp of social issues, it could really backfire. And that goes to the way that this film also deals with the concept of wealth. Hammond is always going on about how much he spent on the park, how much he put into it finance-wise, how expensive it was. It feels like he wasn't constrained by anything. He just let this money convince him that he could do the thing, and then he created a park full of killer dinosaurs. Well, it's a millionaire with a dream. Who just sent a car in space? Elon Musk. Do we really need a car in space? Is it cool? Yeah, it's cool. Do we really need a car in space? No, he could have given that money to the poor. But he's also the dude who's, like, telling his workers that if they don't sign up with a union, he'll build them a roller coaster. So the intersections of power and money and ambition, if you do not have somebody behind you and with you trying to be like, should we do this? Maybe it's not going to end so well. And I think we see that because Hammond and Ellie get into it over the park and the conception of the park and the realization of the park. I really think that we see two types of scientists. We see Hammond, and then we also see the scientists who work in the park that he has hired. And then we see the two archaeologists that come in to view the park. We definitely see when Malcolm is making his point about science never asked whether it should do something. So you get characters like the archaeologist who would definitely ask that question, and then characters like Hammond who did not ask that question. The film sort of comes down on the look at this cool idea that ended terribly, and I think it's great that even back then, we get this critique of unlimited power, unlimited wealth, to do whatever you want. If you had a chance to go and visit a Jurassic Park, would you? No. No. I am not answering my own question. I plead the fifth. You're not American. You can't plead the fifth. Anna, incriminate yourself. I am an American for the purposes of this podcast. So when I think about the science and the way that science has changed our lives, I feel like sometimes there's an over-reliance on the technology that science produces. 
we're like, oh, well, we have these societies and they run on this technology. But if we got part of it taken away from us via electricity, we're all doomed because our whole society functions on electricity and devices that require charging and whole industries that are built around machines that need power. Once you build a whole society around machines that need power, but suddenly you can't power those machines, what happens to your society? I also see this a little bit in the Bitcoin thing that's going around, where Bitcoin, to produce it, you have to have like CPU power, and the Bitcoin production is like draining power from different systems because it takes so much energy from computers to make it. This is another example of Malcolm's quote, Bitcoin. So I really think that the reason this movie has stayed really relevant is because dinosaurs are cool. Yeah, that's absolutely the first part. The second part is because Jeff Goldman is sexy. And it's only grown more so as the years have gone by. I know, it's incredible. Lending a nice sheen of nostalgia over the whole thing. <laughs> and then third is because it deals with a lot of issues that are pretty relevant to, like, now. Because not only do we have a lot of white men with a bunch of money and power doing ridiculous stunts because they can, like, we're also dealing with science going really far on things that we're not really sure what the consequences will be of. Like, specifically, I'm thinking of the always-on recording devices that some people are putting in their houses, like Alexa, and TVs that can record what you say. I know. So I was at Thea's home, and she has an Alexa. And, like, you can ask her it everything you want. And one of the questions that Thea asks her is, Alexa, are you spying on me? And then Alexa says, I can send you all everything that you do to Amazon if you want me to. Science, what have we done? I'm very torn about all of this. I find it really cool. I can see the potential behind all of it. But then, of course, you see the other, other side of it as well, just because you can, should you... Like, that goes into everything, right? So, for example, I was watching a documentary about the fashion industry. In our fast-paced society, the way that fashion interacts with the world has changed. Before, you had four collections a year, and those collections were, you know, one for every season, and things were much more manageable and sustainable. But in our fast-paced, fast-food, fast-fashion industry world, you have a new collection every week, pretty much, from the major outlets, like, for example, H&M or Next. And that has a demand for the production of new clothes on a weekly basis that has created this environment in, in which you have to get your clothes done in countries like India, China, Turkey, for example, where those industries are slavery. Just because you can have it, should we have it? Why do we need a new collection every week? Seriously, why? Yeah, I think this movie also touches on that element, right? Because it creates a greed, then it can be abused and taken advantage of. And we see this specifically in this movie, to take it back to the movie we're discussing. I swear this is all relevant, guys. We see this in Nedry, who is basically committing corporate espionage because he gets greedy and he's trying to steal the product. I mean, he gets his just desserts, obviously. But I think it goes to your point about, well, 
we can do this thing, but should we? And if we do it, are we going to think through the ramifications of what happens when we do? And what happened with the fashion industry, it sounded like, no, we didn't think through the ramifications of what it was going to mean. No, absolutely not. And now we have this really gross, broken system. Absolutely. And that goes for everything. Again, going back to the same kind of thing, or development of science, it's medicine and the pharmaceutical industry is also very gross. Yeah. So that's a big reason that I think this movie is still really relevant and stays really relevant. For some reason, gets being redone too. I think it's because everybody wants more dinosaurs. Absolutely. Yes, we all do want more dinosaurs. But I think the message from the first movie has gotten lost with subsequent entries in the franchise. Well, I've only seen this one, the second Jurassic Park movie, the sequel, and then I watched Jurassic World eventually. I regret that. I will never get that time back. <laughs> On the plus side, the dinosaurs were cool. Dinosaurs were super cool. Well, yeah, I agree with you. It's all part of the um, capitalist societies. Eat the rich. Eat them. <laughs> so they can't build dinosaur islands that kill us all. Did you see the guy, a poacher, who went to Africa to kill lions, and the lions ate him? And left his head. Great job, lions. Get so mad at people. I actually joke about it, but I don't think I would go to a Jurassic Park. Yeah, right? Because then you get into the exploitation of animals, too. Exactly. You bring those species back to life from extinction, and then you just use them for the entertainment of others. It's not even for, I guess, you can study science with them with zoos you have, they have to have oversight right especially zoos who do like restoration work on species but who is gonna oversee the dinosaur park where is his board of directors where is his checks and balances nobody was doing that so that was the work that ellie and the dude were supposed to be doing as you know invited archaeologists paleontologists experts to give their blessing that's really not enough before the thing was even conceptualized, there should have been, like, checks and balances in place. And so you get into, like, animal rights and whether the people working in the park are credentialed to be working with animals. Like, are they abusive? So all these things come up when you consider this film. There is a lot to chew on here. I mean, obviously for kids, yes. Dinosaurs and adults. Uh, I love dinosaurs. But it also, like, faces a bunch of, like, societal issues with the way that humans have decided to interact with nature, interact with money, which is a human invention, interact with power. There's a lot going on underneath the surface of this film. And I, when you say that, that you think the point didn't get ported over to other like, sequels and remakes of this film, I think that's why. They don't seem to be asking any bigger questions. They're just like, ooh, dinosaurs! Let's have fun. Yeah, and so the structure of this film makes it classic but when your writers and producers are not looking to anchor it in the time it's being made to ask questions about culture it becomes a little flat and i think that was probably my biggest critique of jurassic world although the dinosaurs were pretty cool on a lighter topic the music of this film is done by john williams a lot of my nostalgia about this film comes from the music because it sets the tone for the film in a lot of really important ways especially like the first time they enter the park the first time they are on the field with the brontosaurus when the t-rex is after them these really emotionally important moments are just really anchored by the score 
a lot of times in action movies like this, you don't really get that. I kind of compare it to Star Wars because the Star Wars music is super iconic and it does something to you emotionally that sometimes other movies that start with music don't do. And I think Jurassic Park has the same quality. I don't have anything to say about that because I don't really pay attention to music consciously, but I'm I'm sure that if it was removed from it, I would notice. And plus, if you heard the music without the the movie, like if you just heard the songs without having the movie on, you would immediately know where that music came from. That's a really interesting exercise. For example, if you heard the Star Wars Imperial March without the movie playing, you would be like, that's the Star Wars Imperial March. Yeah, but that's because it appears in so many other places other than the Star Wars movies. Because every time you see a villain, they play that song. Every time you're playing with a friend or you're making a joke about darkness or whatever, you play that song. So it's just so, it's such a huge part. Of, of, that goes back to your point, obviously, because it's just such a huge part of our cultural makeup, I guess, that it's just, it's just ingrained in the way that we handle the world, that that song is just a huge part of everything that is negative. We just play it. This movie changes if that music isn't there. Some parts of this movie wouldn't be as memorable if that music wasn't there underneath changing somebody's emotional reaction to it. Which is why now if I played the song from the field, from the film, somebody would be able to picture the scene on the field and that movie happening. Because that is how we like emotionally connect to film. Like, we do it on multiple levels, and I think that's fascinating. It doesn't always happen. There are movies that I love, but if you could play the songs from it, and I would have no idea. It's like a really good composer who can pull that off. And didn't John Williams do the score for both Star Wars and Jurassic Park? Yes, John Williams is definitely the Star Wars composer. I'm pretty sure he's the Indiana Jones composer, too. And that is a, it's also a soundtrack that is very noticeable. When I think back about the movies that are so memorable from the 90s, I really think about his music specifically because he just does such a good job attaching it emotionally to moments in the film. You have Close Encounters of the Third Kind. E.T. I remember the music from E.T. actually. Home Alone. No, hold on. That's something else. That's Star Wars. Yeah. And then he did Harry Potter, the first three. Oh, Schindler's List, too. If they'd had another composer, the emotional resonance of this film might be different. The music in this film just really makes this film feel epic. Yeah, I can see that. So, I mean, I know that I interact with music differently than you do. But for me, that's how that works. It changes the tenor and scope of the film in the way it's used. And I just loved it. Like, it was one of my favorite parts during this rewatch, where the music would rise and I would be like, oh, now I get goosebumps. When I was a kid, like, I was like, oh my god, dinosaurs! But now I'm like, oh my god, this music! I've become an adult. I'm that adult now. <laughs> I mean, I still get excited about the dinosaurs, but also the music. At the end, everybody mostly survives, except for the jerky white guys. And Samuel Jackson. It was really weird seeing him in this film. I'm like, Nick Fury's first job. Somebody wrote me that piece of fanfic. Thank you. <laughs> so yeah, I came away really loving this movie. I'm going to give it five whole space bees. I think I'll give it five whole space bees too. Especially after our discussion, which made it even better. There's a lot going on in this film. Thinking back before I rewatched it, I was like, okay, yeah, dinosaurs. This will be neat. But there is so much to pull 
out. And we didn't even touch on some of the stuff with the kids and parental feelings. There's a lot of other stuff to discuss that we didn't even get to. I'm glad we did this. This was Diana's choice for the vault poll. Diana was like, discuss this movie. Thank you, Diana. Ten whole space beats. Today we are doing some recommendations that are dinosaur and or science themed because it's hard to find fiction with dinosaurs. It's not movies. And dragons don't count. No, dragons definitely don't count. I love dragons though. Dragons are cool. But not as cool as dinosaurs because they lived. Dinosaurs were actually real. So Anna, what is your dinosaur or science themed recommendation? It's a non-fiction book called The Gene by Siddhartha Mukherjee. And it's the history of the gene from the ancient Greeks to all the way to our times and how humankind has approached the idea of genetics and going through, you know, Mendel, who first devised the way that things reproduce and then Darwin and the origin of species. And it's fantastic. It's really well written. It's very entertaining. The writer does a really good way of not keeping history and science boring or difficult. So I highly recommend this book. I think you would love it too, Renee. Sweet. What's your recommendation? So mine is sort of related because asteroid and dinosaurs. (laughs) You get it, asteroid and dinosaurs. (laughs) That's terrible. Also science. So, um, sorry, dinosaurs. So my rec is The Sparrow by Mary Doria Russell. And I'm recommending this one because obviously, yes, the asteroid connection, it makes me amused. But also it's very much about like science and studying other cultures and getting shit wrong, real wrong, super wrong. This book messed me up. I loved it, but it messed me up. It's also heavily about religion too. But I can't recommend it without, like, also providing, like, a severe warning for rape. Like, you gotta be careful if you're gonna read this book. And it's about a group of people who go on a mission to another planet via an asteroid. And when I heard about this book the first time, I was like, what? This doesn't seem like it's gonna be a thing. But it's actually pretty fascinating and heartbreaking. And I loved it so much. But it messed me up. I've heard about it. One of my best friends really, really does love that book. There's some stuff going on in it. It's about science and religion and culture and fucking up. The best books of all. It's another successful Vault episode. Thank you so much, patrons. It's really appreciated to get a chance to go back in time and talk about it. If you have any thoughts, send them to us at fangirlhappyhour at gmail.com. Please come chat with us at Fangirl Podcast on Twitter, too. Our show art is by Ira and our transcripts are by Susan. You can read all the available transcripts at fangirlhappyhour.com. Our segment break music is by Chucky Beats and Boxcat Games. If you like Vault episodes, you can help us decide the discussion topics by supporting us on Patreon. We're there as Fangirl Happy Hour, and we would be grateful for your support. We also have a Facebook discussion group where we post discussion threads for Rex and for celebrating our achievements. 
You can search for it under Space Bee Army and request to be added. We'd be happy to have you. Drink some water. It's important to stay hydrated to avoid the flu pandemic that's bouncing around out there. And if by any chance one day you are at the beach or you are at a park and you happen to come across a mosquito frozen in amber, just bear it. Bear it and forget you ever found it. Thanks for listening, Space Bees. See you next episode. Black beans, white beans, 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 beans. Beans, beans, the magical fruit. Guess what t- Guess what today is, Anna? It's the day that you uh, do the little soft intro. No. Yes, it is. Why did you have to dump this on me? Every other episode. <laughs> I was not prepared. Do you need me to start putting it in the show notes so you can prepare? Yes, madam producer. <laughs> Okay. Okay. Speaking of which, one month, one month until I get to see Hamilton. Yay! Do not bring dinosaurs back to life. That's a terrible idea.